0: Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future Podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. If you've been listening to this podcast or are new to it, I thank you very much. I would also appreciate it if you took a moment to follow it on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. Today's guest is Brian Meeks. Brian is a full-time author, writing mystery, thriller, YA, science fiction, and humor satire. The reason, though, that I've invited Brian to this podcast is his understanding of data analytics to bring conversion rate to publishing and how to master Amazon descriptions, which is the title of his best-selling book, Mastering Amazon Descriptions. Welcome, Brian. Thank you, I'm glad to be here. This is an honor. Well, thank you very much. I I very much appreciate this. And as I made clear at at the uh, intro here, Uh, This podcast is specifically designed for the aspiring writer and artist, and Amazon is the acknowledged big gorilla, and anything a person can do to better, I guess, his odds or his uh, success rate is something that this podcast is about. So that's what your being invited as a guest is all about here. So I guess to begin with, how did you first evolve to become an author? You were doing all this other stuff in data analytics, and then became an author was that did the author come first and then data analytics?
1: no the i was a data analyst at geico where a 15-minute call could save you 15 percent on your auto insurance i don't know if any of your listeners had heard that out there but that came many years before i ever took up writing at that time the only writing i did was technical writing for my job and though i worked in the marketing department and did a lot of analytics on other people's writing with our correspondence to policyholders Mm -hmm. and so forth. I wasn't a writer myself because I didn't like writing. I disliked writing because my eighth grade English teacher, Mrs. Johnson, was mean. (laughs) And so it wasn't until January 2nd, 2010, that I did some writing just because I wanted to. It was... That time of year is college football, bowls, and the bowl game I wanted to watch didn't kick off for a couple hours, so I was surfing around on the World Wide Web, and I found a place called blogger.com. Well, I'd recently taken up woodworking, and the day before, I'd had some foibles in my pursuit of building a workbench, because every woodworker starts out, you build a workbench because you need it, and it's requires some really good beginner skills to get started. So I wrote this post about the old adage, measure twice, cut once, Mm -hmm. which woodworkers, most people have heard that. The problem is if you measure twice while watching college football, your results may vary. And I, in fact, on January 2nd, when I woke up and looked at the legs, I had legs of Four legs of three different lengths. Only one of those four was the correct length. And so I had to go buy more 4 by 4s And I thought it was funny. I wrote the post and posted it. Well, I still had a while before the kickoff. Mm -hmm. I went to this site called Lumberjocks. And it was all of these amazing, talented people who were building reproductions of Queen Anne furniture. And they were buying wood that had been dredged up from the bottom of rivers that was the correct time period. And so it was amazing reading these things. And I joined it. And when I did, a little button came up and it said blog. Well, i had already blogged about woodworking. So I cut and pasted my post into lumberjocks and then went off to watch the football game. The next day when I came back, 25 people had left comments, and maybe 300 had read the post on Lumberjocks. the comments were along the lines of, wow, that was funny, hilarious, best post I've seen here in five years. I can't wait for your next one. And it's remarkable how one's perspective can change about something like writing when you get external validation. Mm-hmm. And so that was the start. That was my first blog post that day. And I continued blogging every day about woodworking until January 29th. This is 2010. On that day, I hadn't done any woodworking. I didn't have anything to write, but I really enjoyed having this consecutive streak of not missing a day. And so I decided to be creative. I wrote what would later become the first chapter of the Henry Wood Detective Agency, a post about this detective In 1955, New York, which was a nod to my father, who read my blog every day, because for those who are old enough and were fans, 1955 was the only year the Brooklyn Dodgers won the World Series, and my father is still bitter about them moving to L.A. So, I write this post, and there's this detective, and it's January 1st, 1955, and a mysterious woman comes into his office, and in it, I put this little mcguffin about this closet he had at his home in brooklyn where periodically he received these strange presents from the future and on this day he had received a bausch one and a quarter horsepower router and that, that was that was the, the the point of the of the post because i've been talking about buying this router for three weeks i finally did it and so i wrote this noir mystery fiction opening chapter just to say, oh, and I finally got the router. Hmm. And my readers liked it. They thought it was funny and all. But they said, I can't wait for chapter two. And I had not intended on there being a chapter two. Well, every time I needed a post, that's what I did. I added a chapter to Henrywood Detective Agency. And when September rolled around, I had accidentally written my first novel. And that's how I began becoming
0: wow. a post. That's a great story. Well, thank you. Yes. So then, how did you phase over then? Because you've got then your data analytics, and now you've got your uh, your mystery thriller router story. <laughs> and then, yes. And then, how did you phase over to cracking Amazon marketing? Where does that now fit in?
1: Well, Amazon ads didn't come about until I had written quite a few books. So I was at, I think, six or seven novels. All of them were written as blog posts. Mm-hmm. Well, the first six were written as blog posts. Mm-hmm. And four of those were the Henrywood Detective Agency, I threw in a young adult, and then a thriller. Amazon ads started up. And every person who posted about it, oh, they're, they're horrible, you can't make any money, none of them had a background in data analytics, whereas I did. Mm -hmm. And so I was looking at them the same way I did when I was doing my work at Geico and noticing patterns and seeing opportunities because I'm a fair writer. I have a lot of friends who are much better at prose than me, but none of them are better at data analytics. So I was able to run ads profitably, three to 500% return on investment. And then in January of 2017, in the Facebook group, 20 books to 50K, Mm -hmm. people started asking questions. I knew the answers. So every time a question would come up, I would repeat the question in my own post, write a lengthy answer. And I was doing it, in a stylistically, the same manner that you would expect on any blog, on the New York Times site, USA Today, these big paragraphs. And I would get 12 comments with maybe 50 likes or loves to these posts. And at this time, I was also studying the art of copywriting. And the first time I wrote a post that was proper copywriting, I had a 10x improvement. I went to well greater than 10x. I had I think over 300 comments and 5 to 700 likes and loves on a post that was maybe 6 700 words which anybody that uses Facebook knows that to get people to read 6 or 700 words on a Facebook post is quite an accomplishment. For and sure I, was able to do that because I had been rewriting my descriptions to better convert on Amazon ads and seen an improvement from a typical book description. And if you look at all the descriptions out there, they're synopsis of the book. And those descriptions convert at about one in 30 to one in 35. I, at that time, was writing descriptions that converted at 1 in 12. Now, because I've improved at the craft of copywriting, my conversion rate is around 1 in 8. And so, that's sort of the evolution of the Amazon ads and the copywriting were linked because it was the data analytics combined with the copywriting that allowed me to not only have better return on investment, but to have the credentials to say, hey this is how it's done and I can prove it because mm-hmm. this isn't theory. I have a hundred million impressions 600,000 clicks I've spent over50,000 dollars on ads and and these are the real numbers. And so that is what shifted me from being an author of fiction to somebody that has done pretty well in nonfiction in the author genre I guess
0: right yeah so you've got because I've got two of your books here mastering Amazon ads and then mastering Amazon descriptions and so I'm I'm mostly interested in talking about the Amazon descriptions mastering Amazon descriptions here the because um, you get into there like how many words should be used on the Amazon description I mean you get real scientific about it on what works and um, the thing that was most I think people listening to this, this is, this is trippy here, this next part here, because, I mean, I've been taught from the get-go on writing, you got to get as much copy as you can above the fold, and it's got to be there because nobody ever goes below the fold. And so, if you don't get it there, then forget it. It's, yes. it's a lost cause. So, please dispel that um, falsehood there.
1: <laughs> well, that it, it wasn't a falsehood in years gone by mm-hmm. because— Back then, social media didn't exist. We hadn't had our attention spans completely destroyed by the dopamine hits we get from every like, love, comment on our posts. So now, as a species, because everybody's on social media of some sort, we we see a post from our best friend from high school, and she just got a new puppy, and it's 15 lines in a single giant block of text. It doesn't matter that we had a crush on her for three years and still kind of do. We're not reading her post. We're clicking love and we're writing cute puppy and we're moving on. Nobody reads giant blocks of text. Now, in the days of Sugarman, who wrote the seminal work on copywriting called Adweek, his book was about writing copy where it would be an entire magazine page devoted to selling a digital watch. And so there, you know, it was, it was volume of words. But the thing that was my takeaway from his book was the goal of the first line is to get them to read the second line. And the goal of the second line is to get them to read the third line. And the third line is to keep them hooked enough to read about the product. And so I started and over time have evolved from, Having maybe 25, 30 words above the fold, which in this case we're talking about Amazon where it says read more, Mm -hmm. to ideally less than 15. And I always, always 99% of the time, my first line will actually be half a sentence. As an example, for Henry Wood Detective Agency, Henry knew one thing, dot, dot, dot. Then a blank line, and the blank lines are just as important as the words. And then the next line, and for editors out there, I apologize, but I use another ellipse, dot, dot, dot. Dames were trouble, period. And the third line, well, the, the I guess the fourth line would be a blank line, and then the fifth line would be, would this client be the exception? That's 13 words. It's very, there's very little weight to it on the page. It's barely anything. And what's going on in people's minds is when they come to Henry Wood Detective Agency, Henry knew one thing. Well, it's short enough that you almost read it as a single word. So already I've gotten those four words into their brain and they're not gonna click away at that point because of the dot, dot, dot. Their eyes will go to the next line Dames were trouble. Okay, at this point, the cover's Art Deco. Nobody's used the word dames since the 50s. I've established some important stuff about this book. It's Henry Wood Detective Agency. We know the genre. We know it's not a contemporary detective story because of the cover and the word dames. So I've got a lot of information into those seven words. And then the next line is a question mark. Nobody stops reading after a question. Would this client be the exception? So now, who's the client? Clearly, it's a woman. Anybody that knows the 50s era detective noir mysteries knows it's a beautiful woman. And they click read more. And then the rest of the description goes on and it's the same sort of thing. I'm I'm giving them a little information and I keep bringing them along with hooks until we get to the end. And that description is one of my better ones, but stylistically towards the end of it, if if anybody goes and looks it up, I would never have that many short lines in a row now because I'm better at copywriting. But at the time when I did that description, it went from one in 30 to one in 12 instantly. The very next day, as soon as it was posted, my conversion rate improved. And I already had the information from writing stylistically in that copy
0: mm-hmm.
1: way on Facebook. So I knew it would do better. But then I had the real numbers. And so it's everything about that style is designed to get them to click the read more. And authors who try, that, people who put a quote at the top of the page, unless it's by somebody that's won a Pulitzer. It's not helping because, oh, who cares? I I don't know who that author is. I have 20 friends who are authors, most of them in romance, that make $100,000 every single month. These are seven-figure authors. And if I walk down the street, nobody's heard of any of them. That's how big this business is. So unless your opening quote is from somebody that's a household name, if Stephen King wants to give you a blurb, put that at the top. If you win a Pulitzer, put it at the top. If you get a Nobel prize in literature, put it in the top. Everything else isn't adding because nobody cares. In this age, we have so many people who are USA Today bestsellers that were part of a hundred book anthology where it sold for 99 cents and you had a hundred authors. And so, I mean, I say everybody's a USA Today bestseller, not me. But the point is, it gets used so much that it has lost its potency. It is not an effective hook. Does that make sense?
0: Mm-hmm. It does.
1: Yeah, and so. All you're trying to do is get them to click read more, which that was a long answer. But,
0: but it's a good answer because people, well, people need to understand what this is. And the people listening to this are going to be like making notes and trying to figure out, you know, how does this work? And what about, and now what, wait, okay, so so you explained it very good, which is, I think is important people have that. Um, Thank you. So now on the, um, so on doing a, a story pitch, so you've got, you know, a pitch and you talked about hooks and descriptions so is there a distinction between pitch description and hook
1: you're talking about trying to get a publisher interested in your book or trying to get a uh, an agent is that what you're referring to as far as a pitch Or you talked about a movie pitch or
0: yeah so there it's like on um you know sometimes an author will put together this is my one size fit all it's a it's a Pitch that I use, I send out to either an editor or get somebody to publish my book. It's what uh, is the description that's going to go up on Amazon or going to go into Goodreads that sells the book to the, the reader. And the hook, which is going to make somebody, I think it's mostly because of the confusion of what it is, but to to, to kind of like break up that one-size-fits-all on yeah. how you're going to talk about your, your book.
1: Y- yeah, it, it is a one-size-fits-all because... If I were writing a pitch letter to a publisher, if I were writing a pitch letter to somebody that was going to be maybe my audio book narrator, they all have different pain points. And so if it's a publisher, I might try to think about the question, what are the pain points for the publisher that authors cause? Because that's their hook everybody is going to say, oh, my book's the next big thing, that's not a hook, that's kind of expected. So try to figure out a different angle to those opening lines, and that's how you're going to get them to read that email. But it wouldn't be the same. Uh, quick anecdote, if I may. Mm-hmm. I lived on the Las Vegas Strip, and in my building was this gentleman, Constantine, best name ever. And him and I were out having drinks one night, and he was, he was sort of, uh, what's wrong? What, what's going on? And he said, oh, the MGM job is coming up, and I never get it. What, what are you talking about? He said, well, the, the MGM has this job. It's a photography gig. He, he Constantine's a world-class photographer, and he says everybody that has the equipment that can handle the job applies. It's a couple dozen people. I've tried Seven times before, this will be my eighth and I never get it. But I'd really love to land this just once. So I got out my iPad, got out my little keyboard, and I wrote the pitch letter. We used hooks. I asked him, what are the pain points? and Can you define that pain point it,
0: so that people will understand? Okay,
1: so I, I, I said, okay, MGM knows all of you, a couple dozen photographers. You all have the, his camera, body, and lenses cost $180,000 because understand that the pixel resolution, as he explained it, needs to be such that it looks good on a billboard that is half a city block long, a digital billboard. And so it's very unique camera equipment Mm -hmm. and only a handful of people have them. Well, when I asked him that question, he said, well, truthfully, we're all kind of divas. I said, that's the angle. We're going to pitch them that you are going to be easy to work with, that your only goal is to bring their vision to to fruition. And he said, oh, I like that. And so that's what we wrote. And he got the job. Now, understand, this is a two-week, $100,000 photography gig. And the difference between seven failures and one non-failure was copywriting. And he got it for the price of a Moscow mule, which, which is pretty fair.
0: <laughs> so then the, the pain point itself as a, as a term, define that.
1: Yeah, pain point is what is it that the person you're pitching to dreads about working with authors? What do they hate? What, what is it about authors? It just drives them nuts. Is it that their manuscript is it polished when they get it? Is it that they don't have realistic expectations? Is it that they aren't familiar with the way traditional publishing works? I don't know what the answers are to the situation. It could be for an audio narrator. Their pain point might be the speed with which the the authors review their, their narration. Because though, if you've never had an... Audiobook done. Typically, the voice talent will do a chapter, maybe two chapters, three chapters. They will send them to you, and you are to listen to them, provide feedback, and then they will, if they need to make changes, if they pronounced a name incorrectly, something wasn't correct, they will go back and make those changes. Mm -hmm. But they won't go on to the next chapter till you've reviewed it. They get paid by volume. So if you take three days to get back to you know get back to them, that's a pain point. The authors who will get back to you in an hour, they love them. And if you're trying to land a really big name, that could be the difference. That could be the reason they read your email because the the narrators themselves have their own following. There are people that will li- buy every book by a certain narrator. Right. And I just helped a friend write copy to try to land a pretty big name in narrating. And uh, I, I don't know these are back yet, but that's, that's the point. What is it that they dread about receiving these pitches? Go after that. Right. Because nobody's talking about <laughs> – none of the authors are thinking about the agents what, what do agents hate about working with authors? Sure. Does that, is that a good That's a good answer. A good answer. That, that, that explains,
0: yeah, it totally makes sense. And it also helps to answer that thing I said also about the story pitch versus a hook versus a description. So now, mm-hmm. on a hook, so do you feel like you satisfactory answer then? Like, what's the good length?
1: I try to go four or five words on the first line, four or five words on the second line. I misuse the ellipses, like I said, all the time. Right. I. Typically, we'll have a third line question maybe 95% of the time. Sometimes in nonfiction, I don't. But that's to get them to click read more. And so stylistically, from the hook, when they open it up, the next part is important. Visually, I want to have my short lines at the top, then a paragraph that's usually maybe two and a half lines long, sometimes maybe three. But the next thing that comes after that is not another paragraph, because two paragraphs in a row is one giant block of text. So I'll have one, two, or three short lines, and then another paragraph, then another short line, then the call to action, which is something that isn't thought about, it's important, it's you'll love this Fill in the genre, comma, because, something else. And you and because are two of the five most powerful words in copywriting. You, now, instantly, love, and because. You, now, instantly, oh, no, love isn't one of them. Free. I Love isn't in there. I use love all the time, but that's not one of them. You, now, instantly, free, and because are the five most Powerful words in copywriting, and the you because works because we as consumers have been listening to Madison Avenue tell us that we will love their product because this movie star says so. Because four out of five dentists who chew gum recommend dentine gum, because we've heard it our whole lives. So once we switch in the description. I always think of a description as a movie narrator. So it's going along in a world where it's narrating the movie. or painting a picture. Then it's time to close the deal. And it switches the camera from the movie to the narrator is now talking directly to the consumer. You'll love this book. Because, and then what comes after the because isn't as important. And then the last bit is get it now. I see descriptions that end with scroll up and one click now to begin reading the wonderful adventure of Mr. Guinea pig. And they're missing the point because if you haven't convinced the potential reader that they have to find out what happens in your book by the part by the time you get done with the you because, you're not going to get them. That last bit is more of a Pavlovian bell ringing. It's a stop sign. It says, hey, you've reached the end of the description. You know you want this book. Get it now. It's short, just like at the top where I'm trying to keep it short because I want to you know, get hooked, their, their attention span. At the end, I want to bring their attention to their next task, which is to buy the book. I don't need to tell someone who buys five romance novels a week, how Amazon works. That is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I find it offensive because I read that as, hey, You've just read my description. I appreciate it. But clearly, you're an idiot. So I'm going to walk you through the process of using Amazon, even though you buy 250 books a year, you moron. That's what those long ones say to me. Is, uh, and and I'm, I may be being a little bit militant. But the point is, get it now. It's short. Mm-hmm. It's just boom. Okay, it's done. Let's do it. Don't give them time to have the two-year-old start screaming about something. They're hooked, they want to buy boom let's not waste extra words where they can lose you know lose their focus
0: I get it now on amazon you've got i mean once you go read more, you can go on for i don't know if you can go on forever but you can go on for a long time and then there's also the amazon plus yeah. um so is amazon- i mean Amazon obviously put Amazon plus there for them they see it as a good marketing tool to be able to further entice and and sell your product. Have you found that to be a successful, um, adjunct to regular Amazon descriptions?
1: I don't have any data that shows that it is better or worse. So my, my feeling is that I tend to give advice based on stuff where I have analytics that I can back it up Mm -hmm. with. So my, my gut tells me that Anything additional that you're doing past the call to action is an opportunity for the phone to ring. It's an opportunity for life to get in the way of buying that book or downloading it through Kindle Unlimited. That being said, I am sure that with, uh, I mean, I'm sure that there are times where a person who is meticulous. Maybe they don't use social media. Maybe their attention span isn't fractured. Maybe they will read all, you know, click on videos or do more research or or they're the type that reads 20 reviews. It may have an impact for them, but my feeling is that over the next 100,000 people that are going to look at your description, that that may fall on the side of reducing the conversion rate. But again, I don't have data on it, so I'm I'm, going to say it's just like with bold at the top. I can't prove that bolding the characters above the fold is better or worse than not bolding. I can tell you that using H2 or H3 headers, which makes the font bigger, Mm -hmm. is a bad idea, because if you use an H2 header at the top, you have increased The amount of space required for those characters and so your fifth line which is supposed to be your question is now cut in half because it has moved it down just a tiny little bit and that being cut in half visually is just terrible so don't use h2 or h3 but if you prefer the bold I've looked at it and I cannot see a statistically significant difference between using bold and not I prefer not but if your listener really likes the bold, then use it. Just don't use H2 or H3 because that does have a negative impact.
0: Good. That's very good to know. Now, is there like a, a good length, like 300 words, 500 words, 150 words for doing one of these Amazon descriptions?
1: I don't think in terms of word count. I typically think in terms of the visual. Now, fiction versus nonfiction. Right. Nonfiction will have more words because I typically do the opening hook the same way, but then the next paragraph I'm switching from the hook to who is the writer of this book because a person looking for nonfiction is trying to solve a problem in most cases. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, a, a biography or what have you is more for entertainment. But if you're reading a self-help book or mastering Amazon descriptions. You want to know who is it that is trying to solve my problem. Can they be trusted? So I immediately talk about the author. Then I start hinting at what's in the book. Where nonfiction authors go wrong a lot of the time is that they will put too many bullet points in their nonfiction description. I always use bullet points, but I stick to maybe five of them. And when I get these previously written nonfiction descriptions... The bullet points themselves are too many words because they really want to tell them everything that's in the book. I just want to talk about the highlights and be as concise as possible so that, again, visually on the page, when you open it up, it's lightweight. So in fiction, typically I have the opening hook, the three lines, Mm -hmm. a paragraph, one, two or three more lines, another paragraph. One, two, or three lines, another paragraph, or sometimes that's the call to action. It just depends on if I feel like they're going to be hooked. Because at the point that I've written it and i built up enough intrigue that I think they're ready to buy, I don't want to go any further than that. Right. The mistake that authors make because they try to write a synopsis about the book. It's, it's their child. They put all that effort into exactly. getting 50,000 words into a novel, and they did all these clever plot twists and stuff, and they want to give away all the spoilers. Don't do that. I tell every author, hint at what might be in the book. Don't tell them what will be in the book. Now, in certain genres, romance, for instance, the rules are cut and dried. There has to be a happily ever after. The guy can never cheat. But he has to leave her at some point, but it's not because of her, it's because of him. it's There are rules in romance, and they are the same, and they have to be followed to the letter. You may not vary from them at all. And so you don't need a synopsis for romance descriptions. You need to try to find something that is a hook, that is not, that, that is part of the tapestry of this romance because that's why romance readers consume these books by the, by the bushel full, which is clearly I'm from Iowa because nobody uses the word bushel. Right. <laughs> yeah. But the, the point is you don't need to write the hot, sexy, tattooed biker dude because in the history of romance writing, there has never been a series of dad bod romances. They're all fit. They're all muscular. Most of them have tattoos. So if you're using a description of the male character that is in every romance book, that's wasted words. You're not adding anything for the reader. Mm -hmm. What's the thing about your book that is the interesting twist without giving too much away, but will make them say, oh, I've read about the billionaire romance I've read about the you know, tech genius romance but I've never read about the guinea pig Wrangler romance <laughs> that's interesting how does a how does a guy a woman who raises guinea pigs find you know a yoga instructor or something like that and so you're trying to be different without just listing all the tropes you want to mention several of the tropes you want to make sure that they understand hey, I play by the rules. I have all the tropes in there, but you don't need to belabor the point. Try to figure out ways to hint at the tropes that they're there, you're gonna be satisfied with them. But you don't need to explain the tropes to somebody again who reads five romance novels a week. Right. So that's uh that's we're really getting into the the minutiae and the nuance here, but eh. That's,
0: that's the audience we've got here too. Lo- yeah. They're, they're definitely, Hopefully they'll enjoy it. Oh, I'm sure they will. This is, this is fascinating, especially somebody who's suffered at not getting more than two clicks, 10 clicks, you know, I got to like, I got to like, you know, um, <laughs> it's just, it's something that it's, it's today's age. And even now, more so what we're talking about now that the pandemic is coming to its close, People are no longer st- stuck at home where they can't go out and enjoy life, and so yes. to grab their attention and get them to want to do that click and commit their time, which was a lot more when they were just at home. Now they, you know, you're now you're competing once again with the beach, going to the mountains, going on family trips. Yeah, true. You know, so it's all the more important to get it right so that you can actually make that that increment of their free time dedicated to you.
1: Yeah, It it is ironic that everything I'm talking about today is designed to overcome the incredibly short attention spans when we're talking about a product where the person is going to sit down uninterrupted and do one thing for two hours. They're just going to read. They're going to have the greatest attention span in the world. But at the time that they're on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or iBooks wherever they're shopping at that moment they're still in the facebook headspace the like love scroll move on mm-hmm. they don't switch their brain into long form reading until you know the kids are put to bed or the, you know the husbands away or where whatever the deal is They've got that quiet time. Now they don't want to move on. They're ready to read. But that's not where they're at, and that's why synopses don't work, because they're still in that gotta-go space.
0: Right. That's, I mean, I think that's so important that people look at that and realize that. Now, you'd mentioned uh, the 20 Books to 50K, so I've had Michael on as a guest. I mean, I have a lot of the people connected with 20 Books to 50K as, as guests on this podcast and a lot of them, based on that twenty books, are series. So now, on, yeah. once you have a person hooked on a series, do you have to do you change now what you're doing on this thing on how you do your your descriptions that you put on on Amazon or that you use for? Well, it's
1: I'm, I'm going to answer it two ways. Okay. One, the short answer is no, not so much. You still want to try to hook them because you don't know who's reading that description. It may be somebody that has just been scrolling and they see the cover of book seven and they like the cover. So they click and they go look and they read the description. Well, in the subtitle, you likely have in parentheses book seven. Mm -hmm. And so maybe they didn't notice that they read the description. Oh, this sounds great. And then their eyes land on book seven. Say, well, I'm not going to start on book seven. And so they go down, they find book one and they get into the series that way. So don't make the assumption that the person who's reading the book seven description has read books one through six, which is why it's important to take the description seriously and do it as well as you can because you're going to get people that come in at that point. Craig Martell always says that the best thing for the last book you wrote is to release the next book. And that's true. And so you write book one, well, when you write book two, you're gonna get people going back into book one and it lifts all the books in the series. So take it seriously, but if the person listening right now, let's say say that they have three series. One's a four book series, one's a seven book series, one's a five book series. Mm And there, oh, I'm excited, I'm gonna do this. I really enjoyed this podcast. I wanna to get to work. Strategy-wise, I would rewrite books one, one, and one first, because those are the most important, no question. Then go back and write two, two, and two, and/or or two through four and whatever. But if you've got multiple series and you're going to redo all your descriptions. Redo the first ones first, and then go back. And what's interesting is if you do this and you've written 12, 15 books, when you get to the end of rewriting all your descriptions, I would go back and rewrite one, one, and one again because in those first three, four, five descriptions, your skill at the art of copywriting will have improved markedly. Right. And you'll be able to notice, oh, I did that description, but I have echoing. I started two paragraphs in a row with the. And so you you change it up because you don't want the echoing, which is another reason to always read your description out loud because then you hear that echoing of starting a sentence with the same word or using an obscure word twice. So you don't want to start two paragraphs in a row with I or the or the same word. You also don't want to use a word like enclave twice in a novel. I mean, there are certain words that are unique enough that it can be echoing. You use the word enclave in chapter two and you use it again in 49. That's just as bad at echoing as I in paragraph two and I starting paragraph three. So echoing is a thing that a lot of newer authors may not think about. But if you're rereading your description aloud you will hear it and it will be more polished if you change those words to avoid to avoid that so i went a little off topic No, but but that's
0: that's good stuff because all these different things are 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 important and maybe people use different nomenclature for what you're saying but so when you explain like okay i get it that's what you're actually talking about on that so then on um I mean, for a person, get this because you're talking about yeah, you just do, you just, you know, you're tossing off these these things right left, and you've been doing this for however many years.
1: Yeah, I started copywriting in 2017, so I've been at it for about five years.
0: Good. Now, you've got two books, and you mentioned on your on your first one was mastering Amazon ads, then you went to mastering Amazon descriptions. That's the yeah, and if I could tell folks out there,
1: there's. At the time, when I wrote Mastering Amazon Ads, I was considered the leading authority on a- Amazon advertising. That is not the case anymore. I have, because my life has been almost all copywriting, I will rewrite your description for you for $150. And so the point is, right now there's a guy, Brian Cohen, who's a very good friend of mine. I would consider him the current expert on Amazon ads. So I believe he has a new book that either just came out or the pre-order just came out. So my book, Mastering Amazon Ads, I still think is about 80% relevant in that I talk a lot about the data analytics side. Mm -hmm. And for people that don't like math, I try to explain things in a way where they can see the importance of it. So it's relevant in that sense, but there are Types of ads that no longer exist. And like I said before, Brian Cohen's the guy to go to now. But in that book, Mastering Amazon Ads, the chapter that was most brought up to me in emails or direct messages was the one about the descriptions. So it was because of that feedback that I wrote the entire book, Mastering Amazon Descriptions. And in there, if I may, Tell yeah. the story about the copywriting miracle.
0: Please. Yeah. Uh,
1: I, I had released the book, and about three weeks later, in my Facebook group, Mastering Amazon Descriptions, a woman puts up a post, and she used proper copywriting. She had an opening hook, and I don't remember it verbatim, but it was something along the lines of, this afternoon, dot, 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 blank line, dot, 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 I bought Mastering Amazon Descriptions. And then the third line was, I had, uh, could I love a book anymore or something, question marking. And just all the stuff that I was teaching, she was (laughs) using it, it was wonderful. And of course, I see the post several seconds after it's gone up and it goes on. She said, I was reading along, I did like you told me, every single description until I got to number 43, dot, 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 next line. (laughs) I couldn't go on. (laughs) I had to stop reading and write this post. I need a link to that book. <laughs> and I just laughed. And so, because I didn't think to put links to the books in in Mastering Amazon Description because that wasn't the point. I should have done that, but I didn't. And so I, I went, I had to look up which book chapter 43 was and I went and I got her the link and I sent it there. I put it in the, the post and then she replied, she said, thank you. And then next Little parish said, I want you to understand, I'm 50 years old. I have never owned a cookbook. I have never wanted a cookbook. And after reading that description, I had to buy this cookbook. And I love it, thank you. And so I sold a cookbook on keto to a woman who has never owned a cookbook, didn't want a cookbook. She was not even thinking about buying a cookbook. But the description was that powerful, and so that was my that was my copywriting miracle, if you will.
0: That's amazing. Is that something that I think is again getting back to the the scene we're in right now, where people do live on Amazon, they do live on the, on social media to be able to find things. That if you're unable to do that to hook people, now putting links, it's obviously, on any description you're going to have on social media, you're going to have the link there, but then. Sure. When you put the, the social description on, on Amazon or any other place, to what degree is it important to have? Because sometimes the concern is that a link will take somebody away from. Yeah,
1: I wouldn't put a link in the description. But yeah, you don't want there to be any distraction. Right. That, that, that is just bad. So, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't use links that are to anything else but the book. If you're using this copywriting, someplace else in an email Mm -hmm. in your and understand i want everybody listening to understand and i think i talk about this in chapter one or chapter two this is a skill that you can practice every day because when you're leaving comments on facebook or tiktok you could you could just do the the normal way or you could do the hooks and then write a little paragraph And just practice your copywriting, and you will be amazed at how these replies to other people's content, when you spend one to two minutes doing a 30, 40, 75-word reply to their post, that will rise to the top by most relevant, and it will just be validation that you're getting good at copywriting. I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan, and they're abysmal this year but I I follow them on Facebook. And sometimes I'll put up a post and I will use copywriting to reply or give my two cents worth. It's amazing how many times out of 500, 800, 1300 comments, mine with proper copywriting that might've been after already 300 comments were there, has made it to the top as far as relevance because people will read it. And so use copywriting when you're, texting, when you're sending an email to your mom, when you're DMing. Anytime you have an opportunity to write words, use copywriting, except when you're writing your fiction. Then you want to write prose. Copywriting is not prose. So every other time in your life, do copywriting and you will get good at it and you will start to notice it and you will no longer read giant blocks of text and it will improve your conversion rate on your email list to your subscribers if you have a facebook group of fans they will interact with your posts more which will make them more rabid fans it it is nothing but benefits so you might as well do it all
0: the time that's great that's really good advice on that too because then it gets because that begs the point like well, how do I get good at this stuff here? So you just get yeah. good at it by just doing it and taking any opportunity yeah. you can to do that. Okay, now in your book, uh, Mastering Amazon Descriptions, does that supplant Amazon ads or is this an adjunct?
1: I would say it's an adjunct because I have a chapter in Amazon ads about descriptions and conversion rate, uh-huh. but I don't go into the art of why these various pieces, the things we've been talking about for the last hour why they work, why they're important, because I think it's beneficial to listeners to understand the why. A lot of people out there will say, hey, do it this way, do it this way, do it this way, and they may or may not do math, whereas everything that I'm talking about today is backed up with data analytics where... I've done this. I've done this for my own books. I went from one in 30 to one in 12 to one in 10 to one in eight. I've written descriptions for maybe 600, 700 authors. I was working on one before this call. So I, it's something that this is what I do. Right. And like I said, it works for a a CV letter to try to get a photography gig. I, this year, have mostly been in the crypto space and I've been writing articles on cryptocurrency, blockchain, things of that nature, and with proper copywriting, the bounce rate goes down because I'm able to hook a person, get them all the way to the end of the article, And then they are more likely to click on another article. And for those who don't understand internet bounce rate, it is simply if a person comes to a site, a news site, and they clicked on some link to get them to the article, and they don't click on any other links, they X out at any point, that's a bounce. Mm -hmm. And news articles often run at 88% to 92% bounce rate. My articles were in the 78, 79. And that that 10 points of improvement in bounce rate means that you have a consumer who is reading more of your articles. And on the internet, the company is making their money from ads. Mm -hmm. And every time they go to a new page or they scroll, they're getting more impressions. So it is building advertising inventory. And the reason it works is because the people were hooked and I did it with storytelling on something crypto related. Right. I did it with the email for the company I worked for. I improved the click to open ratio by 100% in a month where I changed the style of the, of the copy. And well, it improved instantly, but I, I looked at the first month's worth of data and it was 100% improvement click to open rate And then two weeks later, another person was actually taking my writing and they were putting them in the emails and they changed the font. And I didn't notice that they had changed the font. They made it bigger because they thought it looked better. And during those seven days, the click to open rate dropped by 50% just because of the size of the font. So all these details, a little minutia, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I've arrived at these conclusions from actual data. So...
0: Good. That valid. makes sense. Now, when we started this, we talked to about Battlefield Earth. It's a, it's a book by Warren Hubbard that you read. And mm-hmm. we had a description before that was in there. And um, we contacted you and, and had you help us on, mm-hmm. on rewriting the copy. So you're familiar with the story. So a bit mm-hmm. about the evolution, how that went with you on rewriting that, that copy for Amazon on Battlefield Earth.
1: Yeah, when I got the opportunity, I I believe we met at a conference. I don't know if it was it might have been San Francisco Writers or the one in Colorado with Kevin J. Anderson superstars. Superstars, yeah. But it, okay, it was probably yeah, it was superstars. superstars. Yeah. And so I I looked at the the description and it was a summary. It mm-hmm. was it's a short paragraph and then two big paragraphs, and then there's a whole bunch of Quotes one from Neil, Neil Gaiman, uh, Robert A. Heinlein, Brandon Sanderson, uh, just a whole bunch of them. And so, mm-hmm. it's it's a synopsis, and it had, I don't know how often they had changed it, but this is a book that's been out for 30 years, give or take. Yeah. I, I don't remember when it was published, and I changed it to my style. I got rid of. All but two of the pull quotes at the bottom, I kept Neil Gaiman and Brandon Sanderson. I I think there was one from our friend Kevin J. Anderson that I may have not made the cut. (laughs) Uh, I I don't recall. Uh, No, 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 I I, I didn't bump Kevin. Uh, But anyway, the, the point is, like I said earlier, if it's a household name, Neil Gaiman, Brandon Sanderson, use them. The other people... In that genre are probably household names maybe but it's too many five of them's too many well if you look at it on amazon all of that they went with all the pull quotes and i don't have any of the data i don't have access to the publisher's data but i do believe that over a hundred thousand impressions just that extra stuff in there that extra volume of words to read is costing them some sales and the pull quotes are adding nobody nobody is getting to the pull quotes and thinking "Ah, i i don't know the fifth pull quote that's what did it so i it's not the version that i recommended they they use but my content as far as the the opening hook and all of that is is you know the way i wanted it and i was told three weeks after they had it up that they had seen a nice uptick in sales and i again I don't have any of the, the actual right. data because that's none of my business. But that, that's how, I mean, I like I said earlier, I'm a, I'm a fair writer. I'm a, I'm a great copywriter. I'm a great data analyst. And I tell an okay story. Right. I just had a, a producer ask for uh, my book Underwood Scotch and Rye. I don't know if anything will, I don't know if that'll get optioned or not, but it's nice to be asked. That was uh, last week. And so I, I'm an great. okay writer. Yeah, but I am a really good copywriter because I spend all my time thinking about hooks and just, I'm working on a YouTube channel for my content creation company, southbeachdesk.com. And this is going a little off topic, but it it, it has a vein of copywriting in it. YouTube has a new thing called YouTube Shorts and you want to aim for 30 to 40 seconds. I went through a course on how to make shorts effective and it was interesting because everything he was talking about was visual copywriting. One of the hints he gave was to cut the video such that you have that, you know, when you take out an, a tenth of a second or a half a second, it goes from here and then it, you know, there's yeah. that, that little hitch. He said, do that. Do that all throughout because those little glitches are what keep the 18 to 24-year-olds who are their target demographic focused. They can't bear to watch 10 seconds of continuous video. It has to be choppy. It has to be changing every three seconds. And that's copywriting. It's about holding the attention span. TikTok has destroyed the visual attention span. And so the ones that are successful on YouTube have that choppiness to them. It keeps the attention because if you can keep them for 30 seconds and you get 100% watch through, you are more likely to have your video shown. And that can be the difference between a successful YouTube short and not. And so it's interesting that, I I guess visual copywriting is a thing. Maybe it is now, maybe I coined a new phrase, but that's, it, it all comes back to how do we grab a person's attention?
0: That's amazing. So with that, how does somebody find your books? How do they find you? How do they, uh, uh, if they, if they would engage you to be able to help them with their story descriptions?
1: Thank you for that <laughs> question. The, the easiest way to reach me right now, like I said, I have a new content creation company, which is admittedly focused on the crypto space, but this is where I'm going to shift all of my author writing services and it's southbeachdesk.com is the site and it, it's, it's just new There's it's not 100% the way I want it yet but if you want to email me it's bdmeeks bdmeeks at southbeachdesk.com you can reach me that way the most common way people reach me is through Facebook Messenger I get lots and lots of Direct messages, hey, can you rewrite my description? Like I mentioned earlier, I charge $150. I will send you a Word document that has the bones that I need, the information, keywords, and things of that nature. And you get that back to me. And I can typically, my turnarounds, less than a day unless I get, sometimes a person will say, hey, can you rewrite all six of these? Mm -hmm. And that usually takes me a couple days. But yeah. Yeah. BDmeeks at SouthbeachDesk.com. And if anybody wants to subscribe to my newsletter, I haven't sent out the first newsletter yet, but it will be crypto centric. That's the point. But it will be done stylistically in a way that you'll get to see more copywriting. And hopefully you could look at that and understand the power of doing the copywriting everywhere, if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely does.
1: Thank you for letting me, me shill my stuff.
0: Sure, absolutely. I do, I, do,
1: I do also have a course on everything we talked about today I could maybe do a a code and send it to you here after we're done it's uh, two hundred dollars but uh, you know maybe yeah you know, like fifty percent off or something like that would, would you would that would that be sure something that absolutely people take might that through? yeah Kevin yeah. Anderson I, used I, to
0: have me when he started his teaching his master's class had me um was on the podcast for two, the first two years. And then, um, now he just has way more students than he can possibly teach. (laughs) Yeah. Well,
1: my Mastering Amazon Descriptions is one of the textbooks that he uses in his master's degree program. And I'm very pleased about that. It was, it was quite an honor when he asked me if they could do that. I said, sure.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. Well, thank you very much, Brian. It's been great having you on as a guest. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network where you can find these podcasts as well. I also want to thank Carnation for sponsoring this show. Carnation not only tastes good, they have good taste. Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the US, Canada, the UK, Australia, and South Africa, and available everywhere via Amazon.com. Writers and illustrators of the future are contests created by Erwin Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction and fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Brian.
1: I really enjoyed talking with you. It was an honor to be on your show. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you very much.